Hey everybody, welcome to the Be Better Tomorrow podcast. I am your host, Jason Fisher. This month, we are talking to Rachel D.K. Finney. She is the CEO of the Columbus Humane Society. She's got 21 years of nonprofit management experience helping homeless animals and children through the organ transplants, homeless people, and a ton more. I'm talking to her this month about the power of perspective. Rachel calls herself an advantageist because she's always seeking the advantage in difficult circumstances. And we talked through a lot of what that means. And with COVID happening, we could all use a little more positive outlook. So, without further ado, Rachel Finney. You know, it's kind of a, a funny story, but I was sitting in a personal development workshop myself, and I honestly can't even remember the title of it. Uh, and one of the questions that was asked was, um, think of something you regret. And people who were participating in the, in the workshop were sort of writing feverishly, um, coming up with all kinds of ideas. And I just, I felt really stumped. Um, I don't regret anything, actually. And that puzzled me because if you had asked me, you know, any other day, I don't think I recognize that about myself. So it, it helped me understand that some of the challenges I have lived through and some of the successes that I've experienced in my life really come from connecting good things from bad things that have happened. Um, and so really understanding that that's fairly unique. Um, I started having more conversations and doing more speaking on the topic. So I understand that you don't have the regrets because you see the positive things that have come out of those things? Absolutely not to say that I haven't made mistakes in my life or, um, you know, haven't experienced bad things. I absolutely have. It's just that I was very quickly able to connect something really good and beneficial to that bad thing or that bad choice or that mistake. Uh, and that's what really helped me connect value to some of the I mean, all that suffering that I've been through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I assume you haven't lived just a perfect Disney princess life. And that's why you have no regrets. <laughs> we don't, you can get into whatever you like or don't like. But to say, so I'm sure some people hear you have no regrets. And they're like, well, that's because she's never gone through anything. Otherwise, she'd hear, she'd be like, no, I could fix this and change that and change that. But I think, I think psychologically, it's called framing. When you change the way you look back at something to say, no, because of this thing, these other things happened. And if they hadn't happened, I may not be where I am today. That's exactly right. Exactly right. What I believe is if we can get people to consider the good that comes from bad situations while they are experiencing them, we can connect meaning to that struggle and it becomes that much more valuable to us and we can do more with it. Um, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't feel sad or frustrated or guilty or anxious or angry. Those are all real and valid feelings. And they, they also bring value to your life. You need the full range of emotions to live fully. And the, the good stuff doesn't feel as good if you haven't also experienced some of the really hard things in life. So uh, my belief is that if we can get connected to the good things as we're going through the bad things, we'll, we'll live more fully and be able to extract more value from the experiences that we have. Let's not talk about the theoretical. Let me give me a practical example of what that looks like. So when I, well, growing up, uh, my neighbor became one of my closest friends. Uh, he was 11 months older than I am. Um, at three months of age, he was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. And at the time of his diagnosis, an average lifespan was about 15 to 17 years. So it's known as a childhood disease. Um, now with research and advancements and 
cystic fibrosis patients can lead a life well into their 50s and 60s, even beyond. Um, but Brett was, um, he really, he struggled. And um, we found out my freshman year in college that he needed a double lung transplant to survive. Um, he was listed for quite a while, but never got the lung he needed. And he passed away when he was 20 and I was 19. Um, that's, that's terrible anguish. We're close sure. for a lifetime. And um, I got to experience some of those significant losses at an early age. Um, likewise, my brother uh, was 38 when he passed away very unexpectedly and basically went to sleep and didn't wake up. Um, sudden death cardiomyopathy. Uh, very different experience than losing my close friend, Brett, because I knew my whole life that he had a really debilitating disease. And yet my brother, I had no idea that the last time I spoke with him was the last time I would ever speak with him. And so both of those experiences have really heightened my awareness of the importance of relationships and how important our words are and that we are not guaranteed tomorrow, regardless of the health that we have, we don't know what tomorrow brings. And so we really have to value today and really have to appreciate very deeply the relationships that we have. So because of them, I'm a much better friend. I'm a much better listener. I take more from the relationships that I have. And I, I recognize I have to use every moment that I have meaningfully. All of those improvements, for lack of a better word, in, in your ability to relate to people are driven because of these tragedies that occurred in your past. And you'd be able to kind of reframe those and harness them to make sure that you are doing the best you can in, the, in your current relationships. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. And every, really the power of perspective, the talk that I give is all about reframing, reframing challenges, looking at things from another angle, um, expanding perspective. You know, what I, what I don't want people to hear me say is stop thinking of it that way or, or look at it from a different angle only, because the way that we think and we feel about our experiences are real and valid. Um, but that's only one way to look at it. So we can sort of back up or zoom out and see more. And we can also see good things um, from those difficult experiences or, or how have I advanced? How have I grown? What do I know? What do I value now because of this experience that I'm going through? And, you know, it's not just my personal relationships that are made stronger and better because of the losses that I've had with my brother and my good friend. Uh, it's, it's really also my ability to help in a, in a helping profession in human services or even in animal welfare, I understand struggles that people are going through because I have had similar experiences and that helps me connect and relate to people in a professional setting just as much as it does personal. Can you say more about that concept? I think a lot of times when we're trying to be helpful to people, we're trying to talk them out of their negative feelings. And I, I, I think at least in myself and in a lot of people, that's because it makes us uncomfortable that they're uncomfortable. So we often want, like, let's get past the crying because it's awkward, but you may need to cry. That may be the valid response to whatever it is you're going through. I know I've had to change the way I, I parent having two girls. You know, boys are told not to cry. That's the normal way to raise kids, at least when I was growing up. And although I obviously don't agree with that now, but with my daughters, I'm like, ugh, they're crying. Okay, it's not wrong. I have to think about this. Let them cry. 
let them have their emotions. And it was just such a change. I, I'm glad that we're seeing that difference in, in, in well, in mental health and in, even in our relationships today, just as individuals, we don't have that. I don't always think of as the, uh, the British aspect of not showing your emotions that, you know, so, so much of America was descended from. Um, yeah, sorry. I asked you to talk more about it and I talked more about it, but I'll let you, let you say something. <laughs> no, it's good. And I, and I understand and boy parenting has certainly changed. You know, I'm the youngest of six and there were five girls and one boy. And as I oh, mentioned, my, my brother did not make it. So there's a lot of, a lot of emotions in our household for sure. Um, I'll say this, that that um, discomfort that people feel in grieving or sadness, what we typically think of as negative emotions, um, when people try to talk over that or discount that or tell you, well, don't feel that way, feel this way, I call that light pollution. And what I mean by that is that I see real value in feeling our way through those really deep, dark, heavy times. Uh, I think about it more like a night sky. If you want to see the stars, you really have to get out there in darkness to see clearly. And when we're going through a difficult time, whether that's a, a personal loss or tragedy or, or a really difficult challenge at work, maybe even a natural disaster, or as I've experienced, a building flood that destroyed a third of my building at, at work. Um, when those things happen, we can kind of strip away all the things that don't really matter so that we can laser focus on that thing that does. Um, we can rally all of our energy. We can see clearly what is important. So if we lose a friend or a loved one, we start to really understand and value relationships and remember that we can't take time for granted. Those are things that are hard to see in a busy world when everything's going pretty well. We start thinking that our schedules are really important or that um, you know, every meal that we eat or the purchases that we make are very high priority. Is it really though? No. And, and we tend to um, prioritize everything when things are going well, but when things aren't going well, we can really see clearly what is important. So when people come by and say, well, look at the bright side and let's just, you know, think of it this way. Don't, don't think of that. I think that's light pollution and that can really help us or excuse me, hinder us from seeing what is important. So in that night sky, somebody comes through and flashes lights. It's just not helpful. It took me a minute to catch on to the, what you meant by light pollution. I thought you meant light in a more spiritual sense, but you actually mean the light that prevents us from seeing the stars at yeah. night. Sorry, that's, I, I was halfway lost, and then I'm glad you brought that back around. It's, like, it's a nice way to look at it, and I, I like the mindset of that. I've noticed it in my life. When, when things are tough, we, okay, well, I can't bother with this useless garbage we think we're busy. We think everything is important, but we never take the time to actually, you know, categorize things to say, well, this is actually what's crucial. This is what's secondary. This is what I can probably do without. And this is what I shouldn't be doing in, in any way, shape or form. That's right. I mean, when we're going through a very difficult time, we drop all of those things that really don't matter that much. And we can see clearly what the priorities are. Um, you know, we experience this in my work uh, in animal welfare, I run an agency, there's a law enforcement agency, and we need to be prepared on any given day for our humane agents to be in the field and have to seize hundreds of animals with very little notice potentially. And our teams could maybe just bicker with some of the inner department, you know, personality conflicts or communication strains. But when we have a big case, 
All that goes to the side. Everybody rallies together and we move very efficiently through providing the best care to the animals that are coming in. It's just like that in our personal lives. Something big happens, we can really clearly focus on what's important. And that is an advantage of going through a difficult situation. <laughs> it is. I just don't think most people appreciate it or want to appreciate it. And certainly not in the moment. <laughs> no, not in the moment. <laughs> right? Even if, even if I'm thinking now, like I need to clean some things in my life, but I don't want to go through a tragedy to, to clarify things. Um, Austin Cleon, I, I know this one, he said uh, obituaries are near-death experiences for cowards. And so reading those things and, and recognizing that, the, that people die every day and you're, like you said, you're not promised tomorrow, that can help us realize the things that are important. I don't think any of us actually want to go through the, the squeeze or the pressure to get to those decisions, but we'd never take the time to do it otherwise. So you have ways of, you advise people, not just when tragedy strikes, but to, to get those experiences and, and get that perspective when you're not in the heat of the moment. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't find that there are many people who can't pretty quickly think of a challenging situation they're either going through or have recently gone through. And just um, refreshing the perspective about those incidents, whether it's a trauma in the past or maybe an ongoing work challenge, a program that's not kind of working out the way you want it to, or maybe something that's not as profitable, you can connect instantly to a challenge past or current. And so we can process through what has benefited us in the past. And it usually means that people can apply it to something today, even if it's not their biggest pain point. And, you know, those challenging situations that we've been through in the past, something about them made new resources, new learning um, come to us or made us more lovable as human beings or better able to relate to our friends, coworkers and, and peers. And we so if we can apply that to the past and it's usually not too hard to apply it to something that's going on right now. Yeah, we hope that's the case. I know if you don't frame these things to look at as an advantage, I've known plenty of people who've been driven to negative consequences because of the, the things that they're going through. I think that's obviously the importance of what you're talking about. Let's make sure that we're, we're looking at those, not the bright side, because you don't want to use that phrase, but we're looking for those advantages and, and to clarify our priorities during any of these situations. Yeah. Um, so one of the exercises that I go through in, in the workshop that I deliver is what I call the advantageist full moon. We show an image of a of what we call a full moon and ask the audience to identify. Of course, they see a full circle, they call it the full moon. And, and they said, well, are we really looking at the full moon? No, we're actually not. We're looking at the side that's illuminated. And if we want to see the full moon, we would either need to move ourselves or we would need to move the moon or flatten it. Um, and so the exercise that I lead people through is to um, sort of take a, a whole circle and a flattened moon image, if you will, and ask people to write out a pain point that they're experiencing, maybe a current um, or ongoing problem, a past trauma, something that um, has really brought a lot of pain, write that out. And then we write out four disadvantages of that experience, the downside and the emotions that are connected to it. But then after we sort of get it all out on paper, what's bothering us or what are the bad things about this experience, then we start to write, what are the good things? Because it always is the case that there are both. 
And I find that if we ask people to identify the bad things first, that's what comes natural to us. You know, we have that negativity bias. It's easy. And um, they don't feel like we're asking them not to think about the bad things. I mean, don't tell me that losing my best friend is all sunshine and rainbows. That's ridiculous. No one would ever say that to me. Um, but we do that all the time when we discount people's feelings about what they're going through, that it's negative. If we allow people to express that and really identify that first, then they can start to think about what the other side, the, the side that maybe isn't illuminated of the moon, what does that look like? And what are we learning from those experiences? How is it benefiting us? Do you find that people do this better in professional situations? I at least feel like it's more part of the culture. So I'm a business consultant nine to five. And we have ceremonies built into a lot of our projects. Um, if you're doing an agile development project, then every two weeks or every week or every month, depending on your schedule, you're at least doing something called a retro where you're examining the things that have gone well, the things that haven't gone well, and what, you can, what you've learned and what you can build on from that. Even in larger projects, sometimes we have a post-mortem where, okay, here's the things that went bad in this project. What did we learn from it? I just don't think that's a habit that people have developed in their personal lives. First of all, there's not a whole lot of introspection in the American culture, but even for people who are, I don't know that they're looking at those experiences for learning opportunities all the time. Do you think that's the case? I think it's absolutely the case that we tend to accept professional mistakes or um, things that didn't go well and what can we learn from them. I think we do apply that more easily in the, in the workplace setting. Some workplaces better than others. Sure. Right? Failure or um, mistakes are really not uh, acceptable in a workspace and that really crushes innovation. But uh, I do think that people are looking for learning opportunities in the professional or educational setting more than they are in their personal experiences. So agreed on that front. I, I think that people tend to see negative experiences and negative emotions and um, consider them to be, to be bad. <laughs> think about guilt, for example. Um, to me, Guilt may you know, certainly associated with, uh, you know, something that's gone wrong and you're not proud of or wish you could do differently. But guilt really is a, an, it helps you identify that you have a strong moral compass and your own actions have violated your moral compass. We need guilt as an emotion because it helps us stay in line with what, what is good and right in the, in the moral compass that we have. And so if we didn't feel guilt, we wouldn't behave in a way that was consistent with our moral compass. And so there's a lot of value there in feeling that emotion. Likewise, anger, you know, is a good indication that someone else has violated your moral compass, someone else's actions or decisions. So you need that. Otherwise we would let people treat us really poorly or treat people we love really poorly. Um, I find that anger is a very good indicator of my narcissism. (laughs) (laughs) It is great at pointing that out because I usually get most frustrated just when I'm not getting my way on some level. (laughs) You know, my kids don't act the way I want them to, or something at work isn't going the way I want. I get angry and it's, it's usually that, oh, you're just being self-centered and and egotistical. Just knock that off and anger tends to fade away. So that's the case for everybody, but it's definitely a good indicator for me. (laughs) celebrating your moral compass there you go (laughs) yeah in a way i was surprised you said guilt i'm like where how is she going to get guilt that's okay you did i I can see that thing it does indicate some positive aspects about you Uh, because if you don't have that you're either like you said you're you're either living perfectly or you might be a psychopath that has no moral compass but (laughs) feeling that guilt is that is a good signal right and you know 
feeling sadness, you know, that means you have lost something that you valued. And it you really can in that moment celebrate that you had something that was worth valuing, you know, and if there's loss and there's grief, then that means you have something really special and you can still extract the joy from those experiences in your memory. So um, I make for an interesting party guest when somebody tries to tell me a sad story. And also what about, you know, what have you learned from that experience? I I was on Facebook recently. Um, I don't use social media too often, but I saw someone uh, make comment about how they desperately miss hugging in this time of COVID and they're very sad and um, uh, just sort of lamenting on this. And uh, I said, yes. And um, COVID really helped you understand that you are taking hugging for granted and you now understand and know how important it is to you. And that is really cool right? That's really cool that you have a better understanding of that. Um, so I, I can be obnoxious in this, <laughs> in this I, setting. I, I, was, I was going to ask, has anyone gotten mad at you for taking away that negative identity? Because I find a lot of times people in certain circles, it's their thing. Like they're that person who had the bad thing happen and, and it's miserable and pity them and it's the way they get attention. And so they don't want to focus on positive things because it kind of, they feel like it robs that identity from them in some way. You ever yeah, that? I, I think I do it in such a way that I'm acknowledging that pain and that okay. grief um, and not discounting it. It's, it's uh, usually through questions, you know, more than it is accusations or, or that Pollyanna sort of sunshine and rainbows approach. That's really not who I am. I'm more, more storm clouds and rainbows, really acknowledging that the storm that you're going through and, and recognizing that there's probably going to be a rainbow at the end of that. And um, we should look for it. Yeah. Uh, humble inquiry is always a great way to approach things. It, it, it's harder, much harder to offend people with honest, humble inquiry. Remember that, folks, just a good conversation topic. That would be an interesting experiment to start asking people on Facebook or social media um, to make it a less toxic environment by f- stating the advantages they've found through the pandemic. I think we've all been dealing with a low level anxiety for, for various things and probably some mourning for hugging or for seeing people in person or for those, especially we extroverts are just dying right now to be out and being in front of people. But what are the positive things we've noticed? My family has definitely locked in and played a lot more board games that we've been, that we've been meaning to play for a long time. We started going through our collection from A to Z. We got through the D's and (laughs) that's how, that's how many we have. Um, but you know, what other things have we found? We started, I think we all may appreciate in-person meetings a lot more than we would have before. As much as I hated going to meetings, I hate doing them on Zoom even more. So I'd rather, I appreciate the convenience of being at home, but I'd rather be a person um, being able to talk to people and probably laugh a little bit more and interact with a little bit better. Yeah, and you know, really valuing that. I don't know about you, but I spent the overwhelming majority of my day in meeting after meeting after meeting and a lot of car time going back and forth between those meetings. Sure. And I, wow, holy cow, did I get a lot more time back into my day by having Zoom. And yes, I much prefer being in person with people, but that efficiency of not getting into cars and going back and forth and parking and all the rest, I was able to free up a lot more time for um, pausing between meetings and thinking through what are my next steps instead of always being on the go. Uh, Uh, So you're scheduling it filled up. Now it's literally back-to-back Zooms for a lot of people. And what we need to do is is make a habit of scheduling them for only 50 or 25 minutes. 
So you you have to have that mandatory five to 10 minutes to do whatever you need to do. I find myself going meeting to meeting. I don't even have time to digest what just happened till the end of the day. So I feel like knowledge is slipping away from me because I don't have that decompression time, but I wasn't traveling door. Schedule drive time. Yeah. I wasn't going from meeting to meeting. I was going from desk to meeting and back. So I wasn't driving. So maybe that's why I don't, I don't miss it as much. (laughs) That that would, that would do it. Scheduling that time to decompress and reflect between meetings is important. If my assistant is listening, she will be laughing. (laughs) My day is, my day really is very packed um, between, but uh, just recognizing how much waste was in my day before um, in in traveling between meetings or, or discussions. I think another uh, element of COVID has given us a window um, to see into the lives of our peers and our coworkers, or for me, um, getting to know my donors at a different level because we have this shared experience mm-hmm. um, and we can literally see into people's homes and um, get a, a little glimpse of what life is like. And um, I think that shared experience is a really critical piece. I was recently participating in a, a program, a class that had international participants and grew very close to a woman who runs a nonprofit organization in Mumbai. And she and her family were in a lockdown situation, much like what I was experiencing here in central Ohio. And that was an incredible opportunity that if we'd not been experiencing COVID, we never would have had that. Uh, so I, I mean, again, I tend to look really actively for those advantages because the weight of the disadvantages can be a little bit much. It can be hard to survive it. Um, so my my reframing is often moving from grief to gratitude and being able to hold and really feel uh, feel the grief of lost experiences, lost loved ones. I, my great aunt passed away uh, having had COVID earlier this year, it was an extremely difficult situation to, to navigate for my family, very painful. And if I can connect my thinking to gratitude, who or what can I be grateful for in this moment, in this experience, it, it really helps me draw advantages. Um, I wrote a piece about that experience and expressed gratitude for her caretakers in the hospital who were connecting her with loved ones on the phone, managing family phone calls, helping oh. us helping us say goodbye to uh, a beloved family member. And just being so grateful that somebody could give us that access because we couldn't get it otherwise. Um, so I, I find that gratitude is often a wonderful strategy to help um, help expose some of the advantages of a difficult situation. That's good because like, there's always people to be grateful to. Um, and a lot of the situ- situations we've talked about around sickness or death, there's always those first responder caretakers that are going unsung in a lot of cases. Because if if you have that negative outcome of a death, you, you don't usually stop to think of all the care that went into and up to that moment. Um, but when you do take that time, I think you'll find opportunities like that where the nurses and the doctors were, were doing all that they could and, and bringing some comfort to your loved one in the last moment. And so you do start to see some good in the world through that, through, through those things happening. I know um, friends of ours lost their daughter very young from a, from a childhood cancer, and they, they still have remained friends with a lot of those nurses because they were in that, in that cancer ward every day for months. 
fighting with their daughter and, and it built some beautiful friendships. You know, that that's one of those ways you, you can understand that there's things to be thankful for and reframe whatever you're, whatever tragedy you're dealing with because beautiful human connection can come out of that. And those friendships can last right. the rest of your life. What we often find, regardless of the circumstance that's challenging, is that relationships are very important and we can connect on a more deep and meaningful level when we're going through something like this. And that's true at work as well. I mean, if we have a, um, a crisis, as I mentioned, the, the flooding of our building or a large scale cruelty investigation, there's bonding that happens in that shared experience and the relationships that we forge often really help get us to great times or to, to better program performance because of what we've been through. So um, I, I have yet to sort of be stumped in a program a workshop or, or even a one-on-one -on -one with somebody who's going through a hard time. I have never uh, encountered a circumstance that is 100% all bad and doesn't benefit a single, in a single way. And I, you know, even, even those uh, really skeptical, I, I have a document that I call the 21 advantage extractors, and it's all questions about how you benefited from this experience or because of this experience. And, and it works. Uh, now I feel challenged. <laughs> I want to see if I can, I don't have anything off the top of my head to lead with, but I think I mean, you might get an email from me later trying to just throw something at you and see if I can yeah. beat the challenge. I doubt I will, but you've probably heard it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, another example, Jason, that I'll, I'll share with you is that I have two beautiful children. I have a 10-year-old son and a 7-year-old daughter, um, and I struggled. Uh, I struggled to get pregnant with both of them, and it took me about a year for each of them. And that was a really grueling, hard time, and I, um, there's a, a lot of sadness and a lot of frustration a lot of why me and wouldn't I be a good mom? And I don't understand. I will tell you that I had amazing pregnancies, really amazing pregnancies because every symptom felt like proof of success. And I was so, so incredibly excited to be experiencing everything that I was experiencing. So I remember telling my husband, I'm like, oh, this is round ligament pain. And he's like, who's excited about pain? This is <laughs> You know, what's wrong with you? Um, but it was just such a deep appreciation for what I had. And I really would not have experienced it that same way had it not been a difficult journey or process for me. Yeah, we very rarely appreciate the things that are that we take for granted. I mean, they're by default, I guess, but by definition, that's true. So if it's something that just happens for you, you're not going to think that way. But when you have to struggle and fight for things, um, again, I look at that in kind of a parenting perspective, I don't want my kids to suffer, but I do want them to work and appreciate. Uh, they've actually both started um, jobs doing just odd things around around the house or around with the neighbors. And, and now my daughters are thinking, okay, that phone is like seven lawns or that phone, <laughs> that's how they're processing and thinking through things because I want them to appreciate that. You know, I know my, like, I feel like in my school, everybody who was given a car wrecked it. And everyone who bought a car they drove that clunker all the way through school, you know, off to college and left it on the side of the road somewhere when it finally did die. But it wasn't because they wrecked it. It was because it just gave up the ghost and couldn't go. Yeah, it, it conjures or brings to mind the uh, lawnmower parents, the lawnmower parenting style. So uh, these are the folks who uh, clear the path for their kiddos. So they uh. experience the most ease. Um, but what you're talking about is some of that struggle, some of that hardship that um, they need to go through is helping them 
clear their own path. You know, you have to get them ready for the journey, ready to to tackle the weeds, so to speak, rather than clearing the path for them. Yeah, Uh, I heard that the helicopter parents are the ones who are always hovering around the corner to make sure nothing goes wrong. Yes, exactly. And, you know, we need to goof up. We need to make mistakes. We need to to experience hardship. We need to get hurt. We need to have our heart broken. Those are all things that um, help help us be whole and uh, really value the the life and experiences that we have. You know, analogy I thought of the other day, which is kind of funny because I I am not into bowling. <laughs> I'm not a bowler, uh, but something that that I, I realize is, you know, what helps you kind of aim straight when you are trying to bowl? Well, it's the pin setup, or maybe even the arrows on the on the lane. But probably what helps you just as much are the gutters, right? So if you think about bumper bowling, when the the pads come out and they do not allow you to kind of go into the gutter, kiddos who learn that way, well, they throw the ball and it bounces off the side. Mm -hmm. And they will never ever learn how to go straight if they don't have sort of the fear of the gutter, you know, the experience of what happens when it goes wrong. Um, So it's just as much where the ball is or where those arrows are as it is the gutters on either side that help you steer. Or help you, you aim. Are you a butterfly fan? <laughs> because I, I might have a I might have a better analogy. I love it. Give me your butterfly analogy. I need to find an etymologist to find out if this is actually true. But I've heard inside the cocoon, butter or before when they're coming out, butterflies can actually have really bulbous bodies. And so somebody was once watching a butterfly try to come out of its cocoon and was struggling and struggling. It was taking forever and they were afraid it wouldn't make it. So they opened up the cocoon a little bit with some tweezers to get get it out. And when it came out, its body was still huge and it couldn't fly because squeezing out of that cocoon actually expels some excess fluid from the body and shrinks the caterpillar or the butterfly body down to the size it should be. And then it loses that weight so that it can fly. I don't know if that's entomologically true, but I love the story and have thought about that when I'm thinking about those hard times. Like those hard times forge us into what we need to be in order to fly. So you can you can have that. It's not mine. <laughs> I, I like that it is a living thing that will certainly help me in my pursuit. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not a bowler, then it, might, it makes more sense to go with go with something else. But. You know, I like that because uh, as somebody who spends a lot of time thinking about disease control and confined populations, I don't like to put my hands inside of a ball <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, because I'd have to wash my hands every time. So that's a, a so I haven't thought about that. Are bowling alleys even open during COVID? I, I think I think so. I I think they are. Yes. I would be like, uh, just Purell. I do want to go on record. I'm not a germaphobe. I just, I'll get my hands dirty. I just like to wash them after that. You're you're fine with me. I wash my hands after everything I touch in the kitchen. My wife gets mad. Like I'm cooking and I've washed my hands seven times. Like, what are you doing? Well, I I touch the egg. Like I have to wash my hands and do something else. It drives me crazy. Me too. Uh, But if I didn't do that, you know, working with animals, I'd probably uh, have encountered some nasty bugs by now. Probably. Right. Especially animals that are coming in the condition you often see them. So how do you, this is slightly off topic from the podcast, but how do you deal with that? Are you, are you in the trenches a lot where you're actually seeing like, the cruelty results? Because like, I don't know if I could deal with that without a lot of anger. How do you reframe that? Well, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, hurt animals too. Um, and the experiences that I have had working with people 
experiencing a wide variety of life, whether they need organ and tissue transplants or they're experiencing homelessness or poverty. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of sides of human life and I understand that it's never just one thing that goes wrong. It's never just that someone doesn't have a house or someone doesn't have a support system or education or food in their belly. It is all of these things, all, all connected. And, um, having learned that those behaviors come often from experiencing torture or trauma themselves, you can develop a different level of empathy uh, for human beings. So it doesn't mean that I don't get angry, upset, or frustrated, or sickened when I see something really horrible happen to an animal or a person. I do. I feel that. Um, and I can move from that frustration or grief to gratitude by recognizing there's all kinds of people around me at work that are fighting for the same thing and are going to make that animal well and give it love and attention and make sure that it has the resources that it needs. I have donors and supporters and volunteers who are helping to bring that together. Um, I always say, you know, if you're looking for a reason to cry, bring a box of tissues, bring a case of tissues to Columbus Humane, and I will keep you busy for hours. I mean, I could just have you sobbing. But the reality is I don't want to work in an environment like that. My team members don't want to work in an environment like that. No volunteers would come in. So instead, we look at that animal and, and the circumstances that surround their admission or why we're helping and say, this is, this is the beginning of something really good for you. And these are the great things that are going to happen in our care. And you're going to get um, a, a warm, safe place to be. You're going to get people who love you surrounding you all day. You're going to get room service. You're going to get exercise. You're going to get grooming. And then you're going to get a great home. And so we focus forward on that, all the good things that are happening for those animals. That's when I thought I had you ch had the challenge met. I know, right? People, people <laughs> will say, oh gosh, it's like a Sarah McLaughlin commercial every day for you. It really, it isn't. I mean, those, those stories are certainly part of our day-to-day. -day. Animals experience some of the, the worst that human beings can do. But um, if you want to see the best in people, it's a great place to come seeing volunteers and um, our veterinarians and technicians and adopters being so excited to take home their first kitten, you know, that's good stuff. That's the best in life too. And it, it just depends on what you're looking for. I'm a firm believer that we see what we seek, right? Yeah, we see I, what we seek. And if you're looking for the, the reason to cry, you're going to find it. And if you're looking for a reason to be grateful and smile and really be refreshed and energized in life, you're going to find that too. Yeah, it's selective attention. You can train your brain to notice the things you want to be focusing on. That's why gratitude practices are so important. Uh, and the same way I end all my shows, um, if you've listened to any of them, then you won't be surprised. And this is how I know if you've listened to the show before you come on. What are you doing today to be better tomorrow? Today I am remembering all the good things that happened to me and setting myself up for doing it again tomorrow. Be Better Tomorrow is released under a Creative Commons 3.0 share-like attribution license, which means you can use this show or clips of it for anything you like as long as you give us credit and you aren't doing it for commercial purposes. The news you're hearing now is by Kevin McLeod of IncomTech, also released under Creative Commons share-like license. All the information about this show and others can be found at BeBetterTomorrow.com, and I hope, as always, you'll find something to help you be better tomorrow.